Hello, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world, education, and other things. That's what the stuff is for. I am Thomas Magby, and I am joined, as always, by A.J. Hannenberg. Well, that's me. <laughs> that is you, indeed, and Graham Donaldson. Hello. And, guys, I actually have no idea what we're talking about today, so I'm going to pass this on over to A.J. to take it from here. One that April... With his sure his sota. Uh-huh. The drought of March hath pursed to the rota and bathed every vein in switch liqueur, of which, for two, engendered is the fluor. Show off. So today. When Zaphyrus <laughs> eke with his sweet abreath, inspired hath in every holt and heat the tender crop is. All right, I'm done. Is that, is that all you know? You know well, more? I, I can keep going. <laughs> how, far do you, how far does your knowledge go? Um, the tender crop is. Uh, shoot, I, I lost my little. My little um, when Zephyr seek with his sweet to breathe, inspired hath and every holt and teeth the tender crop is. And the youngest sonna hath in the ram his hell of a course he runna. And small a fowlies make in melodia that sleep in all the night with open ear. So pricketh him nature in whore courages. Then long in folk to goon on pilgrimages and palmers for to seek in strange strandes to furna hallways couth in sondry londes. And specially from every shire's enda of Ingeland to Canterbury they winda. The holy blissful martyr for to seca, that him that hopen when that they were seca. That's all I got. Cool all gibberish. Right. Cool Some gibberish. Of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Made all that up. Some of you, I, I don't know how you do that because I can't read Chaucer without doing it in a Scottish accent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's sort of like a singy songy type of voice. Oh, why didn't that happen with his shoulders? Well, that's, I, that's Irish. <laughs> Irish yeah. is like, or Welsh. Oh, it is, oh, it is. Or, or Welsh. Welsh is very sing-songy. Yeah. Okay, oh, today. the stone path is quite treacherous. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we get to talk about Chaucer. I I can't tell you guys how excited I am to be done with Cicero. Let me tell you. You loved uh, it. It was fun. Yeah, uh, those oh, moral I cases sure, I that last one good times. Good. Yeah. yeah, I had a good... I mean, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad to be done with it. And so today, I get to talk about Chaucer. And I thought going into Chaucer, it was going to be a little bit of, you know, a bit of a drag. You guys... My dude. Chaucer is fantastic. Really? Yeah, it's so fun. And today, I will be discussing Chaucer, Chaucer's life... And a little bit of the general prologue, not much. And then his first tale, The Knight's Tale. I f- and then we'll talk about how he moves on from The Knight's Tale. So you'll get, you'll get the impression that The Knight's Tale is you know, it's decent classicism. It's, rom- it's romantic. It's noble. It's, got, it's noble. There's, there's all kinds of historical <laughs> references. It's what you expect when you go to the classics. The next tale is not so much, not so much that. Very different. Which tale Very is that Very different. One? Is it the Miller's Tale? Is it the Miller's? Miller's Tale is not, tale is not so noble. Nah, yeah, it's far less. Okay, so to, let's start with the life of Chaucer. Now, gentlemen, when, when I say the word poet, we talked a little bit about them last time. What do you imagine? When I say poet, what oh, comes wow. to mind? Well-educated, well-read. Uh, they, like, no, I was going to say no active life. They're like, they just sit around and they think about poetry all day. Okay. I think of, like... Hold up in a corner, yeah, a dark corner, and then just spewing madness like like wow. a prophet. What are they wealthy? <laughs> no, gosh, poor. no. Yeah, poor. Gosh, no. Always yeah. poor. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. That was not Chaucer. Wait, what? Chaucer, one of the greatest English poets of all time, was not a poor man. In fact, he was born to a rich family of vintners. You guys know what a vintner is? Is that wine? They deal in wholesale wine. Yeah. Cool. And they lit. They own property on a a road right next to the Thames. Hmm. So it was also where a whole bunch of other really wealthy people lived, including a bunch of merchants. And so his family was pretty stinking loaded all growing up. And we don't know much about when exactly he was born. He was born sometimes in the early 1340s, like 1342, 1343. And to a pretty crazy family, his, they had a lot of money and his aunt at one time, or, uh, Chaucer's dad's aunt, so his great aunt, kidnapped Chaucer's dad. What? So to try to marry Chaucer to, or uh, John Chaucer, so Jeffrey Chaucer's dad, to her daughter so that she could keep some of the property and her family. And, uh, you know, there were some exploits and stuff. Oh, but whose family hasn't been there? (laughs) Yeah. Uh (laughs) Exactly. So he is born to this really wealthy family, and we don't really hear much about Chaucer's early childhood. When we first kind of join up with him. He is in the house of... Uh, Atreus. <laughs> oh, I remember this one. Hope not. No. Really hope Elizabeth not. Elizabeth de Berg, who is Ooh, a countess. De Berg. Right? And so he was kind of like a young page, right? We have records mm. that she got him a birthday present, but or a Christmas present, but it wasn't very much. It was like a koosh ball. Like it, was a, <laughs> uh-huh. it was something really unimpressive. And he 
Jeffrey Chaucer did eventually have kids. This is for way later, but he had three, he had two daughters, Elizabeth and Agnes, and his son, Thomas Chaucer, would eventually become one of the most influential people in the kingdom. Wow. He was head butler to four kings. Ta- the, his son was? His son was. And close friend of John of Gaunt. And got mm. Oh, yeah. There you go. Married be... rich heirs. Okay. So as oh. a young kid, he worked in this duchess's house, the Elizabeth de Burgh, and then eventually he would go off to war. Uh, as he was learning, as he was, you know, going to school, there were three schools near his house. One of them, the one in St. Paul's, had a bunch of classics, right? It had the Georgics by Dante. It had the Rape of Proserpina by Claudian, Ovid's Metamorphoses, a bunch of Lucan. Um, he probably knew Homer indirectly, not directly, but cool. there was there was a lot of really nice copies of books in that particular school, if that's where he happened to go. Did you say St. Paul's? Yeah. It still exists. St. Paul's Cathedral. Yeah. It's huge and yeah. beautiful. No, but I mean, like, the school still exists. Really? It doesn't? Really? I didn't know Pretty that. sure. Okay. Okay. So, he ended up going with uh, King Edward to France to take, what was the name of that town, Graham? Um, France. France. So, he went with King Edward to take Reims with uh, Elizabeth de Burgh's husband. So, when, when her it, husband went to war, young Chaucer, young it, Geoffrey Chaucer went with him. The hailstorm? Yeah, he yeah was, I mean, he was there them. for all of it. And yeah. in fact, Geoffrey Chaucer was captured by the French... And the king had to pay ransom to get Geoffrey Chaucer back. Wow. That's dope. <laughs> uh-huh. So all, this, I, can't, I started reading this and I couldn't believe how well it dovetailed with everything you were saying in all of your podcasts. Yeah. But this is a real thing. Yeah, that was this the is, time. It's the time that Chaucer lived. And he became invaluable to the king. He actually became a messenger back and forth, back to England as the king was in France. And so he'd send Chaucer and Chaucer would sail back and get messages and then sail back. And he would kind of hang out and do that thing. Cool. And then after King Edward sort of returned, he became a squire in the king's household, which mm. or an esquire, which pretty much just means he's at court and he has to make himself useful. Right. Which Good. doesn't sound like much. It sounds like no. cleaning the horses and stuff. Right. But he actually ended up running a whole lot of missions overseas huh. for the king as a king's envoy. Um, in 1366, so he would have been, I don't know, 20, 24, 25, some important things happened for him. His dad died hmm. and he got married. Hmm. And then the the wife, the person that he married was a daughter of Queen Philip, one of Queen Philippa's knights. Hmm. Queen okay. Philippa? Mm-hmm. Remember who Queen she was? Queen Philippa Hainault. She was married to Edward III. Yeah. So he, again, is marrying important people that sort of have big names in this time. And in 1367 is when he became, you know, an esquire for the king. And he would take these long trips. One of them was 106 days out of England. He took four trips in four years. And one of them was to Italy. And so he went to Genoa. He got to know the Italians. He got to go to Florence and get to know the language and all that sort of stuff. Edward granted him, in, you know, reward for his service, a pitcher of wine a day, which was one gallon. Wow for life. What? Oh, man. <laughs> I didn't realize that was a thing that you could give. Wow. Okay. Apparently, yeah. apparently the king is like, That's a like pitcher a of wine a yeah. day for this young man. <laughs> Buckle up for gout. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, he's a vintner. He's no stranger yeah. to selling wine. Oh, so he's going to he's not going to drink a gallon of wine a day for life. He's going to sell it. I think it's just nice to have the option. <laughs> it is a great way, option. Yeah. Right. It's nice to have the option. That's like, oh my goodness, the best wine of the month club ever. Uh, <laughs> to come from the Straight king. from the yeah. king. Yeah. Straight from the king. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. And he collected that wine until the death of Edward III. Wow. So that should be a classical stuff podcast, like uh, um, wine through the ages. No, I'm just saying, like it should be like a, if we had enough money to have an award, oh. that would be what we awarded one <laughs> to one of our listeners. One listener is yeah. like a gallon of wine a day for life. I think that's what the school should award us <laughs> for being <laughs> for, best for teacher. doing this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what it should be yeah. is a gallon of wine per episode. Yeah. And then, <laughs> wow, the episode would be a little less on. coherent. This <laughs> <laughs> will be good. Uh, and so every king that would come after Edward would be like, yes, Chaucer, gallon of wine, indeed, and would sort of reaffirm this thing that he had until, and that happened until the death of Edward III. Living life at half-speed podcast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so after his time as an esquire in the king's court, he was appointed sort of the the overseer. He was like head collector of taxes in the hmm. harbor. And so people would... the. the the fur tr- the, the the wool trade was a really big thing and funded a lot of the wars and so his job was to collect the import and export taxes and ma- he, in fact he sort of didn't do that directly there were a bunch of people that would directly collect these taxes his job was to keep a separate record 
to check theirs uh, against. Okay. Cool. So if, say, Graham, you're a collector and you're out there and you're sort of shaving a few pennies off the side, mm-hmm. I, as Chaucer, could come and say, like... How much did you take? What? Uh, you go to the guy and say, how much did you just pay yeah, taxes? Yeah, how much did you just pay taxes and make sure that everything mm-hmm. was on the up and up? Mm-hmm. And apparently he was really good at this job because mm-hmm. he did it for 12 years. Cool. And during this time, he was he was at some of his busiest and was actually some of his more prolific. He wrote a mm-hmm. lot of things during this time, uh, including a translation of Boethius's Consolation oh, of Philosophy. Cool. So he was familiar with Boethius. If you look if you look back in our episodes, listener, you'll see that we did one on Boethius. It was short, unfortunately. It's still worth a read of yours. And it was with a or live studio yeah. audience. Da, 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 da. Sorry. Cool. Yep. And so that happened. Uh, he was still sent on business for the king, sometimes secret missions, sometimes to like set up for troops that needed to go overseas or even to sue, I think one time, possibly, they don't know, but for marriage to a princess. Oh, man, <laughs> he is man of mystery. International, yeah. most interesting man in the world. Jeffrey Chaucer. Jeffrey Chaucer. He lived through the Peasants' Revolt that saw a lot of his friends killed. Oh, it's the Peasants' Revolt after the... how? So how old was Chaucer when Richard III died? Oh, man, I don't know. When did Richard III die? Well, uh, when was Chaucer born? Uh, 42, 43, 1342. I can't remember. I think it was... Anyway, I can't remember. But the Peasants' Revolt, I think, was like after the death of Edward... Anyway, yeah, he, he saw several kings during yeah, yeah. his lifetime. Okay. And so in 1375, he headed to Kent and he was he uh, to be the ward of two Kentish heirs. Mm-hmm. So his job was to take care of some kids, I think. Mm. And then he was elected to the Peace Commission of Kent, which now in America sounds like a figurehead nothing right. job. Super Peace lame. Commission. Yeah. Back then it was a real job because oh. if Kent was threatened, it was his job to round up knights and then defend the place. Mm. So it was a real thing. And uh, Kent is on the closest point to the mainland. Hmm. So when the French invade, they go to Kent. It's Kent, yeah. So he actually, it was a real important job. And then he was elected to Parliament in 1386. <laughs> you have the best Parliament stories of Hindenburg. Oh my gosh. Have I told this on the podcast yet? I don't I know if so. you have. I doubt it. Yeah. So when I visited London with some students, we were traveling around and we were thinking, man, it'd be really cool to go inside and see the Parliament building. So we walk up to this random policeman and we're like, hey... We know you're probably not doing tours. Is there any way that we can get in and just see the building? We're only here for a day. And he's like, well, you can't unless I've, you have a group pass. But I can get you a group pass. So good. And we're like, all right. And so he heads down the ramp and he comes back and he's like, if you follow me. He's the nicest policeman I've ever met. He walks us up to this little sign and he goes, if you've got knives, explosives, defensive sprays, firearms, you know, anything sharp or dangerous, then perhaps this isn't the building for you. That's good. If not, then head on down the ramp. He's just the nicest guy ever. It wasn't, you know, no knives, no whatever. He's like, if you've got them, then maybe go spend your time somewhere else. And then we had our pictures taken and put on fancy lanyards, and then they took everything I owned, and I got to go sit and watch Parliament. And it is the most British thing you could ever imagine. Sitting on the table is the scepter, of the queen that represents the power, you know, the power of parliament. And then there's all these other books. And they actually say, if I think someone's going to reference a study, that study should be tabled for everyone to look at. I think we'll table this for later. I think that comes from British parliament. And I think I saw the table. Oh, wow. (laughs) The actual table that's been tabled. The, like, if you're going to table something, I saw the table that was originally what it was Weren't they like discussing badgers or something? Yeah. So when I went, (laughs) the big problem in parliament that day was badger culling. Okay. Because the badgers were killing a whole bunch of livestock. They'd dig holes. The livestock would fall in, their leg would break, and then you'd have to, you know, kill the livestock. And Um, so they were trying to figure out how to kill as many of these as they could. And... They, I think their, whatever program they were using wasn't humane. They were poisoning them and it, it just didn't work out well. It ended up killing all these badger young. And so they were giving these speeches and this about badger and the, the, the speaker of the house was a woman and she would put, put her glasses on to read and then take her glasses off to talk to everyone in parliament and then put the glasses back on to read and then glasses off to speak to parliament. And then she's like, the noble delegate from Kent or wherever she was coming from, you'll understand she's had recent surgery and so she won't be standing as she addresses the floor. And there was a, like a little mark of tape and he had to go and stand at the tape and then talk to the floor. And, and the woman comes up and she starts talking about her badger situation. And in the middle of it, she gets a phone call hmm. and she's like, 
excuse me, this might be an important badger. And she, yeah, she <laughs> answers it. And she's like, it was not a badger. Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, and then she goes on and then a guy stands up and he, he was the one that was like, I think if she's going to reference a study about badger culling, it should be put on the table for everyone to reference. And then I kid you not, this is a real thing. The British all do the like rabble, rabble. And they're like hover, hover, stomp on the floor hover. and bang their canes on the floor. And, and it's, it is it is exactly what you imagine it's British ridiculous. Parliament to be. It's so fun. It's probably what Chaucer did when he was yes when he was there. And then the woman takes off her glasses and she's like, L- she answered her phone in the middle of her speech. Let that not be an example to any of the rest of you. <laughs> that is a way that you should conduct yourself on the floor. And everyone's like, so if you get the chance, go check it out. I saw it again a couple of years after that, and it wasn't nearly as exciting. Mm. So because you know, it wasn't no, no, badgers. no badgers, no badgers, no promises that'll be, be as exciting as that. But you know, you might get lucky. I got, I feel like I did. So anyway, <laughs> he was in parliament. His wife died in 1387. Oh. So shortly thereafter, and then he got elected by King Richard to be king or clerk of the king's works, mm. which again, sounds like maybe a figurehead, but what it pretty much meant was that he was the superintendent of all the king's property. Gotcha. Cool. So if a wall falls down, Chaucer's a guy that's got to put it back up. Mm. And so he had to manage a bunch of craftsmen and tell them where to go and manage all the properties. No big building projects happened during his tenure, mm. but he did get robbed twice mm. walking it's around bummer. with all the Jeez. payment for the, yeah, for the folks. Uh, yeah. Luckily, he didn't have to pay back the king. That's so that good. was nice. Insurance or something. Although he he did leave, when he signed on, his salary was supposed to be 3.5 times what he was making at the customs house. So quite a jump up in pay. When he left in 1397, there were still 87 pounds owed to Chaucer, mm. which is 17 pounds more than they owed him for his entire tenure as clerk of the King's Works. Yeah. Wow. So apparently they did not pay Chaucer, and I can understand why he left. He then was elected deputy forester. Well, Richard for the II got in money troubles. Yeah. We'll talk about that on another episode of classical, classical stuff. stuff. Yeah. So he he got elected deputy forester, which, mm-hmm. and again, sounds like a figurehead, but back right. then it was like looking watching over the oil rig, right? That's mm-hmm. that's where all the money's coming from. Cattle get to graze there. That's where the king's deer are. It's it's a big source of income. You can trap furs, like there's wood coming from there. And so it really, really was an important position. Uh, he eventually bought a house near Westminster and then died in 1400 and was buried in Westminster Abbey, hmm. which back then wouldn't have been as amazing as it is now. It's, it's an honor if you get anywhere near Westminster, let alone get to be buried there. But back then... He was a member of the parish. Like, he lived mm. in that area, and as a member of the parish, being buried in the die. church makes yeah. sense, especially if he was a servant of the king. Sure. And so he got buried, and the place where he was buried, he was the first person in what's now called Poet's Corner. Now, I had I had Magby look up who is now buried at Poet's Corner, because because of where Chaucer was, a whole bunch of other poets have wanted to be buried next to him in Westminster Abbey. It's one of the reasons if you ever go to London, you should absolutely go in Westminster Abbey. So who's buried there? Um, so you just said Chaucer, Charles Dickens is there. Please do it in a song form. Do you want all of them? No, I'm just kidding. Just give me the highlights. Uh, yeah. Uh, where was I? Uh, Thomas Hardy is there. Uh, Dr. Samuel Johnson is there. Roger Kipling. Um, uh, Thomas Parr, uh, Richard Sheridan, Edmund Spencer, Alfred Tennyson, and then their names are the top two, but. That you want just, more? Yeah, just a ton of folks. They have a memorial to Shakespeare, even mm-hmm. though memorial, Shakespeare is buried in his hometown of Stratford-upon-Avon. Mm-hmm. So he's not there, but just about everybody else that ever wrote important things in Britain is there. Yeah. Uh, Oscar Wilde is not. He's buried somewhere else. La France. La France. Anyway, so when I now when you think of Geoffrey Chaucer, there's no possible way to think of him as the kind of poet a, you guys described. A right. duffy, dowdy little... He closet. was a warrior. He traveled to Italy. He was <clears throat> well-lived. He did a gazillion jobs. He knew the kings. He worked in the house of a duchess. He had a wife. He had a crazy family. He worked as a merchant. He he did just about everything somebody could do. He lived one of the most impressive lives, which it's kind of just a treat to read about, right? He's cool. he's an impressive guy. Yeah. He also invented some fun words, oh. one of which is Twitter. <laughs> really? Yeah. So it's his fault. It's his fault. We can blame him for fault. Twitter. We can blame yeah. him. You listening, Jack? <laughs> you think Jack Dorsey listens to our podcast? <laughs> I Does somehow he, doubt that. his job listens to all the podcasts? I'm sure. That sounds about right. Okay. Anyway, uh, so he begins the Canterbury Tales. Now, the Canterbury Tales opens with what's called a general prologue. And 
are... Which I was quoting from. Which is what he was quoting from, the very beginning. And basically, when spring comes around, people tend to go on pilgrimages. People wake up out of a cold, dark winter, and they want to stretch their legs, and the birds are chirping, and everything's happy, and they want to go to Canterbury on a pilgrimage. Basically, like, spring spring break! Now, people want to go <laughs> yeah, on a trip. Really? People yeah. want to go on holiday. They start at Tabard Inn, yeah. and he meets all of these crazy pilgrims at Tabard Inn, and then they all decide to go together on their pilgrimage to Canterbury, even though they're sort of a motley, ragtag crew of folks, including a knight, a miller, a nun, some other nuns, a, a carpenter. It's kind of like a reality TV show. Like you <laughs> just get all these yeah. different kinds of people and you throw them in a, in a pilgrimage and off they see go. See what happens. It's like yeah. MTV's real world. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I want to see if I can read you one of my favorite descriptions of a character. Uh, I'll have to flip through a few Which pages. Which one is it? The, the kid that likes onions and leeks. <laughs> Um, he's either the summoner or the partner. The summoner. Here it is. So here, here's one of the characters that he describes. And I've, I've been reading it in Old English. And oh, you've got to. It's, you have to do the Old it's English. It's difficult, but you get used to it after a while, right? You start to learn, learn it all. So if I read this in a Scottish accent, you'll have to forgive me. And if you miss some of the words, that's okay. There's some words there that they use that we don't necessarily even anymore. And I'll just read you a little bit of it. So, a summoner was there with us in that place that had a fire reed cherubin's face. For sauce flame he was, with <laughs> eyen narrow. Gross. So, sauce flame, I looked that up, and it means uh, pimply. Oh, okay. So, he's got all these Excessively pimply. Excessively pimply. And so narrow eyes. So, that's why he has the fire red cherubin's face. Because he's sauce flame. <laughs> as hoot he was and lecherous as a sparrow, with sca- scaled brows, black and piled beard. Ugh. Of his visage, children were afferred. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. <laughs> there was their nos quicksilver liturgy, no brimstone, boris, cerus, nor oil of tartar, none. No ointment that would cleanse and bite, that heim might helpen of his whelks white. So all of those were different things they used to use for your sauce medicine. Yeah, your sauce flame. Quicksilver. So mercury. No, yeah, that's not going to help. They used mercury for just about everything back then. That's yeah. a problem. And it, yeah, it really was a problem. They had no idea, though. Yeah. Go mad as a hatter. And so the whelks are like his swollen oh. chunks on his face. <laughs> Nor the knobs sitting on his cheeks. Well loved he, garlic, onions, and eek leeks. So eek means also. And for to drink in strong wine, read his blood. Then would he speak and cry as he were wood. So wood means mad or crazy. And when that he well drunken had the wine, then would he speak no word but Latin. <laughs> a few terms had he, two or three, that he had learned out of some decree. No wonder is he heard it all the day, and eke ye knowin' well how that a jay can clap and what, as well as can the Pope. So he's like, he, he, doesn't, he has no idea what this Latin means, but when he gets drunk, all he speaks is Latin, Latin like yeah. a parrot. Right, you can teach a parrot to say like Walter, like you can teach the Pope to. So well, he's anyway, a, he's a summoner. His job is to call people to court, and you call them yeah. with Latin. And so all he knows is the Latin terms. He doesn't know what they mean. He just memorized them to call people to come to court. Mm-hmm. And so when he gets drunk, he's just like spewing off all the little Latin he knows. But when you read from that book, is it the same as what Graham was reciting at the beginning? It is. Mm-hmm. Yes. How English. do you? Yeah. But that doesn't that doesn't mean any like how how what? How do you what understand the stuff that? Graham said? No. How do you understand that? Like. It doesn't sound like English. Oh, it, 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 also, it, someone's going to tell us it's Middle English, so for whatever oh, that's well, worth. Here we but, go. Yeah. You really do get used to it. Okay. And like, onions mm-hmm. is spelled O-Y-N-O-Y-N-S, like oinyoins. Mm-hmm. And so it just looks alike. So if but I'm, you get used to the spelling, like any double O is yeah. hot, like hoot would be hot. But the one, mm-hmm. so AJ, you're reading and from- Lecherous is a sparrow. The Riverside Chaucer, are they telling you this in the book? Like what certain words mean? Yeah, they have little, I, I really recommend if you're going to do the Old English, you buy the Riverside Chaucer. It's a little expensive, but it has every Chaucer ever, oh. all, pretty much everything you wrote. And there's all these nice little footnotes to help you understand. And then there's even endnotes to if you really want to dig deeper. Cool. So it's really cool. So he, he meets all these people at this inn, and they're kind of a motley ragtag crew. And it behooves you to travel with a group because they're highwaymen, robbers, right? right. If you're traveling by yourself, you're going to get robbed. So the more people you got in your party, the safer you are. So they're all there, and the host of this little tabard inn says, man, you guys are just a kick in the shorts. Like, you're so fun, and I like you so much. And he toasts them all, and they all have a merry old time. And he says, if it's okay, I'd like to travel with you and take my own holiday. We'll lock up this little inn, or my wife will take care of it, and I will travel with you, and we'll have ourselves a little contest. And here's our little contest. We're all going to tell stories. And I think they were all supposed to tell either two or four. And there's 30 of them. There's, yeah. right. there's a bunch of them. And so I think it was supposed to end up being around 100 stories or something like that, 120. And 
Chaucer unfortunately died before he could write all of them. Mm -hmm. But he says, we're going to tell all stories. And when we come back, we're all going to vote on which one was the best one. And then we'll all have to buy him dinner. So we'll get a free dinner. And that was the deal. That's the premise for all of the Canterbury Tales. So it's like you're going on holiday Mm -hmm. and you just book a tour group and you get thrown in this tour group with all these different people from all around the world. You're on the bus Mm -hmm. driving from Rome to to, um, uh, Milan. And uh, yeah, you're just telling stories and you got the sauce flame guy. So first of all, why are sparrows considered so lecherous? That's what I want to know. But anyway. Okay. I mean, maybe but, they breed a lot. I don't know. <laughs> but then you got all these wacky people. Uh, the, the prologue is filled with just wonderful characters. Yeah, there, there's, there's a nun who doesn't dip her singer, fingers in the sauce and never lets anything drop onto her dress. And, and she great. cries when animals get hurt. Mm. And she, she knows exactly how to look like she's having fun, but she never has fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's sad. And, and there's this knight, and the knight is the picture of chivalry, right? He's beautiful and wonderful. And he's got this young boy who's it's just... his son. Yeah, he's, he's his son, and son is acting as the squire, and kid, it says he can't even sleep because he's just feeling so romantic all the time, yeah. and he's he's like, he's just, got he's got to write poems and play his guitar, and he goes outside, and, and he's just so full of like teenage love, and love emotion, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he just can't handle himself, and he's got this big, big, long, flowing, beautiful hair. He's kind of like this surfer guy that plays the guitar that every girl loves, and he's, but he's there got with his this dad. noble dad who's fought in all these wars. Mm. Oh, it's so great. So the first person to tell their story is the knight. And that's what I'm going to sort of walk you through today. So the story opens with Theseus returning to Athens from a war in which he conquered the reign of Femini, which is like the, I think it was the Amazons he was fighting. So Femini, feminine, right? It's all all the people that he beat. And then he comes back with his brand new queen, Hippolyta. And here's his little narrative. I would have told you fully the manner how one was the reign of Femini by Theseus and by his chivalry, and of the great bataille for the nuns between Betwixen Athens and Amazons, and how assieged was Apolita and fair hardy queen of Scythia, and of the feast that was at her wedding, and of the tempest at her homecoming. But all that thing I might as now forbear. I have got what a large field to air. And wake been the oxen in my plow. Basically, the story's going to be long, so I'm not going to waste time there. And as Theseus came back, there are four women dressed all in black in a highway. And they stop Theseus. And Theseus says, What folk been ye that at my homecoming perturbin sow my feast with crying? Have ye so great envy of mine honor that thus complain and cry? Or who hath yow misboden or offended? And telleth me if it may be amended, and why that ye been clothed thus? in black. And it turns out the women had lost their husbands in the siege of their town and that uh, the the guy who besieged it wouldn't release their bodies to be burnt or buried. Oh, man. Right? Creon. Right? Creon yeah, yeah. was the guy who took over, I think it was... This is Theseus we're talking about. We've been here. Uh, Thebes. Thebes, yeah. yeah. So it was Thebes. And so all of those folks are dead. And so... Listener, if you are confused, go back and listen to our... Oedipus. Com- uh, oh, my God. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't like that. No. Oedipus podcast. Yeah, we did three episodes on those. Oedipus set Colonus, Oedipus the King, and Antigone. So he gives them a big hug. He, him thought that his heart would break when he saw him so piteous and so mad, and Willem wearing of so great estate, and his in his arms he him all uphent, and him comforteth in full good intent. So he's like, oh, you poor old ladies. And so he grabs them all and gives them all a hug and then decides to go and conquer King Creon and take it all back. And so he does. He goes and he just stomps all over the town and takes it back. And turns out that there's two little fellows that aren't quite dead. And they're of noble blood. And uh, I forget where they're from. Anyway, so he doesn't want them to die. So he, he grabs them. And he nurses him back to health. But he says, look, you guys have to be locked in a tower forever with no hope of being salvaged. So that's your punishment. I saved your life, but in a tower you go. So these two brothers, Palamon and Arcita, or Ar- Arcite, uh, are locked in a tower by themselves. And then it happens to be May. And so this girl, Emily rises up and she's like, it's just so stinking beautiful out night. I've got to do some observance of May. 
right? Just like the people going on pilgrimages. Got to do it. Right? right. So she stands up and she's like, I've just got to do it. I got to go pick some flowers and I got to weave me into a little headband and I got to go out and I got to sing. And so she gets Can we herself- have class outside? Can we have class yes. outside? Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So she goes outside and she's singing like an angel. It says, and as an angel heavenishly she sung. And so she's getting flowers and white and red and she's making a garland for her heed. And, and then these two brothers are standing up there looking out the window of their tower. And Palamon is the first to see her. He cast his eye upon Amelia and therewithal he blinked and cried, Ah! As though he stung and were into the heart. So he got stung. It happens. And with that cry, Arcite, anon upstart and said, Cousin mine, what aileth thee that art so pale and deadly on to see? Why criedst thou? Who hath thee done offense? For God's love take in all patience our prison, for it may none other be. Fortune hath given us this adversity. Some wick aspect or some disposition of Saturn by some constellation hath given us, though we had it sworn, so stood the heaven that we were born and must endure it. This is short and plain. So he's like, brother, I see you crying. That's a bummer. You just got to deal with it. It's, we're imprisoned and that's what the stars have, have said for us. Palamon answered. Like, nah, brah, it's a lady. <laughs> it's good. Palamon answered and said again, Cousin, forsooth, of this opinion thou hast a vain imagination. This prison caused me not for to cry, but I was hurt right now through mine eye, into mine heart, oh. that will my bane be. Good. The fairness of that lady that I see yond in the garden, roaming to and fro, is cause of all my crying and my woe. I not whether she be woman or goddess, but Venus is it soothly, as I guess. And so he points out, he's like, dude, it's, I'm not feeling bad about the prison. It's this hot babe down there. And then Arcite sees. And, uh, and with that sight, her beauty hurt him so that if that Palamon was wounded sore, Arcite is hurt as much as he <laughs> oh, or more. Uh-oh. And with a sigh, he said piteously, the fresh beauty sleeth me suddenly. So he's, he's like just dead over her the same. Mm-hmm. And they actually start fighting. And Palamon is like, dude, I saw her first. Mm-mm. And Arcide's argument back is, yeah, but you didn't even know if she was a human. You <laughs> said she was Venus. So I loved her first with real human love. So I know she's creaturely, so I saw her first. And Uh-oh. they pretty much say, we're, but we're blood brothers. And he's like, I don't care that we're blood brothers. I'm going to hate you. We're enemies from now on because they, they both won't give up on her. So, but it doesn't really matter. They're both stuck in prison. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Until a buddy of Palamon's the new Theseus from when he was young, Perotheus, Duke Perotheus, mm-hmm. sues for Palamon's release. He comes to Theseus and says, hey, I know that kid. He's a really good kid. Can you let him go for me? And so Theseus says, okay, I'll let him go, but he has to be exiled from my town. So, oh, sorry, sorry uh, Arcite is the one that, that gets exiled. Mm-hmm. So Arcite comes out of the prison and is exiled. And so he is not allowed anymore. Palamon is left in the tower And this is what it says about how Arcite feels after he's let out. How great a sorrow suffereth now Arcite. The death he feeleth through his heart's might. He weepeth, waileth, crieth piteously. To slean himself he waiteth privily. He said, alas, that day that I was born. Now is my prison worse than before. Now is me shape eternally to dwell not in purgatory, but in hell. Alas, that ever now knew I Perotheus, for else had I dwelled with Theseus, effettered in his prison evermore. And basically, he's like, I wish I was still up there so I could see my girl every day. <sighs> I mean, the heart wants what it wants. It wants what it wants. And then the funny thing is that up in the tower, Palamon is feeling the same thing. Alas, quote he, our seat of mine cousin, of all our strife, God woot, the fruit is thine. Thou walkest now in Thebes at large, and of... My woe thy givest little charge. Thou mayest, sin thou has wisdom and manhood, assembling all the folk of our kindred, and make a war so sharp on this city that by some adventure or some treaty thou mayest have hired to lady and to wife for whom that I most needs lose my life. So hmm. basically he's like, he's free and he can get it all together and come get her back. I have to look at her every day. And Arcita's like, I don't even get to see her anymore and I'll never come back. So the night ends part one by asking, who has it worse? Arcite? Or Palamon. Palamon. Palamon totally has it worse. He's in a tower. Yeah. And Arcite can... That's he can the, like... That's the quote you just read, but he can gather an army and attack the city. and just write her a letter. Or that. 
<laughs> write, her a, write her a letter. <laughs> yeah, you're onto something there. Yeah, Palamon has it way worse. Just, just write a poem. Send it to her. Be like, hey, I was in the tower and I saw you. I can't be in your town, but I love you. But hey, babe, get over here. <laughs> because she also has no idea that either of them exist. Yeah, she yeah. has She has never met, seen, or heard from them. Like, she's she just has being no idea. beautiful, picking do we flowers. Know she, picking do we, flowers, doing her thing. But we don't also don't know if she's already married or... She was a youngling, right? She was a, like she was a, young, young. a young lass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I still think Palamon has it worse. Yeah. Uh, you're right. R.C. Day oh, didn't good. have it worse. Although he sure th- thought he did. So <clears throat> I think it was over a period of time. But basically, he was so depressed that he got worse and worse and worse and looked grosser and grosser and grosser and would just spend his time in the nighttime just going like, just moaning. And then eventually, in a dream, Mercury comes. So who's Mercury. The god of messenger. the winged messenger. Right. What's his name in Greece? Um, Hermes. Hermes. Yeah. Hermes. So Hermes comes and says, bro. Hermes. It's a- bro, it's time <laughs> time to go back to Theseus town. Right. Yeah. You got to you gotta go. And he wakes up and he's like, no, that'll never work until he sees uh, a reflection of his own likeness. And he's like, oh, I look wretched. Gosh, I look terrible. <laughs> so he figures like, I look so terrible. I don't look like the same person. Oh, and there then you go. Changes his hair a little bit, changes his clothes, puts on a cloak and then heads back. Oh. And gets himself into Theseus's house as a servant. And he's such a good servant. He's so good at it. And he uh, he renames himself Philostrate. Mm. And so he's like, oh, my name is Philostrate. And they all let him in. And eventually he's so good at it that he becomes a squire to Theseus himself. Yeah. So he's in on the town. And then one night, Palamon, through the inner workings of a friend, he escapes. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. So he is fleeing for, with terror from his thing, and he decides, he, he finds a little grove, and he decides to stay in that grove that night. So he's hiding in that grove, and then Philostrate, our friend Arcite, mm-hmm. comes and he pretty much says, man, what a beautiful day. I'm going to go get myself some greenery and make me a wreath. So he goes off. Okay. <laughs> As all young men. Yeah. yeah. As all young men are one in their life. Recently freed would. Yes. Apparently exactly. the night didn't have many devices other right. than wreaths to yeah. get people outside. So people are just building wreaths all the time. So Arcite. They're, sing- they're beautiful. They're functional. They, they add a pop of color to your house. Wreaths yeah, are sure. great. It's, great. Okay. I don't blame him. It's a beautiful day. So he goes out there and he sings a little bit. And then he sits down and he says, alas, that day that I was bored. How long, Juno, through thy cruelty, wilt thou wear in Thebes the city? And he pretty much just complains and says a few key things. Like, and of the city first was crowned king, of his lineage am I, and of his offspring, by very line of the stock royal, and now I am so caitiff and so thrall, that he that is my mortal enemy, I serve him as his squire poorly. And yet doth Juno me well more shame, for I dare not... Be know mine own name, but there as I was wont to be height Arcite, now height I Philostrate, not worth a mite. And basically outs who he is. Right? He didn't think anybody was in the grove. But guess who's hiding in the grove? Palamon. Right? Mm-hmm. So Palamon sees this guy who looks so different and he says, What? You're the dude? And basically pops out of his bush because he was terrified before, right? He thought he was going to get found out. Mm-hmm. And he says, Arcite! False, traitor, wicked. Wow. Now art hunted that lovest my lady so, for whom that I have all his this pain and woe, and art my blood and to my counsel sworn. Basically, like, I don't have any weapons, but buckle up because we're going to fight. Mm-hmm. And Arcide says, I don't want to fight yet because, you know, you look like a mess and I look like a mess and none of us have weapons. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go get two full battle dresses and I will come back here tomorrow, same place. You pick whichever battle dress you want. I'll take the worst one and I'll still kill you. And so remember, Emily has no idea idea. these two bros exist. Yeah, exactly. Right. So he does. He goes, he gets all of the stuff and then he brings it on back, sets it before him. They get dressed up and they start hacking each other to pieces. Bummer. Happens that Theseus is out on a little hunting party that day. Oh, he's not getting a wreath? No, he's not. This this is actually not <laughs> a wreath. He's out for a walk. Yeah. He's, a, he's a hunter. So Theseus is out hunting, and he sees these two dressed up Just knights. going at it. And by the way, when the medievals, when a lot of people used to write about, especially in medieval time, used to write about previous eras, it would usually contain a lot of stuff from their era. I mean, they hadn't necessarily seen Greece. They didn't know what it looked like. They didn't necessarily know the history. And so they figure, well, they do knights like we do knights. Sure. Um, often. So they're knights. And they're fighting, and Theseus goes, whoa, 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 whoa. My dudes. Dudes. Nobody better swing another sword, because I will 
kill either of you, right? If I see anybody swing a sword and he says, this is illegal, what you guys are doing. There's no judge here. You're not doing them in the lists like you should. If this is an actual thing, you should do it. And so uh, Palamon speaks up. He says, this is thy mortal foo. It's spelled F-O-O. It's my favorite part of the <laughs> whole story. Like, I am your foo. Okay. So this is thy mortal foo. I pity the... Yeah, that's, yeah, that's where I thought we were going. Yeah. This is Arcite that from thy lawn is banished on his heed, from which he hath deserved to be deed. For this is he that came unto thy gate and said that he was called Philostrate. Thus hath he japed thee full many a year, or played a joke on thee. He japed you. Japed you good. And thou hast made him thy chief squire, and this is he that loveth, Emily. For sith the day is come that I shall die, I make plainly my confession that I am thilk woeful Palamon that hath thy prison broken wickedly. Basically, I broke out of prison. I am thy mortal foo. And, and it am I that loveth so hoot Emily the bright, so I like it. I just love her so hot, that I will die present in her sight. Wherefore, I ax deeth in my Jewess, and slay my fellow in the same wise, for both had we deserve to be slain. He's like, kill us both. Wow. And he says, kill me first as long as he dies. And then he's like, or, you, you know, you'd, you'd also kill him first. That's fine, too. <laughs> he actually makes that little qualifying statement. And so Theseus says, well, fine. I, I said you guys weren't getting out of jail and you're out of jail. And I said you couldn't come back. So you both deserve death. So he hauls them all back, throws them in prison. And the ladies of the court lose their dang minds. Because they're fighting for this beautiful girl. They're right. fighting for love right. and they're good looking young gentlemen. Mm. I mean, now Philostrate has gained a little more flesh on his bones. And so they're looking good and the girls just fall apart and they're like, please, Theseus, don't kill them. They're so noble and all this stuff. And so Theseus goes, fine, I won't kill them. <laughs> Great. We'll, we'll leave them. And... <sighs> it's the power of love, Thomas. Mm, good. That's what the story is really about. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and he's like, here's what we'll do. How about this? In 50 weeks... Ferner, which means what? give or take. <laughs> I think it means far or near, uh, right? In Ferner. 50 wakes, Ferner. Ferner. sperm. Seriously, you, ha- you have got to read this in the old English. It's just full of gems, right? Ferner. So, and this day, 50 wakes, Ferner, Everich of you shall bring an hundred knights armed for lists. Oh, oh, wow. Up at all rights. So he says, you guys go back to your town. Each of you get a hundred oh, knights. Man. If someone said, Donaldson, you and in fifty weeks you gotta come back with like a hundred guys ready to fight. I don't think I could find a hundred <laughs> guys ready to throw down. That's two a week. You can figure I, this out. I got oh, you, bro. Man. Okay. I, I got yeah. two right here. I'm in. Well, you got AJ. Yeah. I assume that <laughs> I assume that what's gonna happen is we would be fighting about the conversation we had last time about yeah, whether yeah. art can be moral. Yeah. I was saying, so anyway, they're both supposed to get a hundred knights, bring them back. He is going to build them a new lists. Right, where they can joust and fight. This is awesome. Right, a new little arena, and he says, you will come back, and then you will fight to the death. Wow. And whoever doesn't die, he'll get to marry Emily. This is like a very, like, bro thing to do. It's it's like two guys are fighting, they're playing this game, they're like, you know, I I love her, no, I love her. And the guy's like, whoa, 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 guys, stop. If we're going to do this, we're doing this right. (laughs) So you go back, you get 100 guys, it's like how every uh, competition... Uh, when you're living with your your roommates, your bro roommates, I know you, it's uh, great. Gets big. It's like you can arm wrestle to see who isn't going to do the dishes, or <laughs> you can set up this like entire weekend long tournament, elaborate <laughs> arm wrestling thing. So he, so that's what happens. They travel back to their hometown and they start collecting knights, and they and in that and meantime, Emily has no idea. I think at Maybe this point now, Emily is she finds finds out that they were fighting over her, because, so she knows yeah, what's yeah. going on. Okay, right, and so flattering. So Theseus decrees this. <laughs> It is for her. Kind of? I don't know. Seriously. By I the time Theseus found them, they were like ankle deep in their own blood. Yeah, they yeah. hacked each other to pieces already. But apparently she's okay with it, right? She's part of the reason they're still alive. Well, female listeners, if yeah. uh, email us at classical stuff and say, <laughs> would you want two young, handsome knights fighting over your love? And you never and one them. of them will die. One of them will die. Yeah. I, I, that feels important. That does feel like well, a good qualifier. We'll yeah. see Emily's Fern opinion. Ferdinand, though, Thomas. Ferdinand. Ferdinand, <laughs> boys. Uh, we'll, we'll see Emily's opinion in a second. So he builds this beautiful new list. And it's, you guys, it's nice. One of the qualities that it says is that you can sit and you don't even have to see the fellow's head in front of you because there's oh, actual... Wow. You guys, there's bleachers. Wow. It's this crazy new tech. So he builds this really cool cathedral. That's and in awesome. fact... In on the different like ends of it, the different entrances, he builds these little temples to some deities. Wow. So on the east, he builds a temple to Venus. Hmm. On the west, he builds a temple to Mars. 
and to the north, he builds a temple to Diane. And each of them, mm-hmm. and, and uh, Chaucer spends time describing each of these. And it talks about Venus's principal dwelling, and it shows what sh- is shown on the wall with all the garden and the lustiness. And here, here's a little bit of it. So, not was forgotten, forgotten the porter idleness, knew Narcissus the fair of Yorgon, ne yet the folly of King Solomon, ne yet the great strength of Hercules, the enchantment of Medea and Circes, ne of Turnus with the hardy fi- fierce courage, the rich Croesus, caitiff in servage. So it names all these people, but the funny thing is that none of those were really successful. Hmm. Narcissus loved himself and wasted away to nothing. King Solomon was brought to folly by his many wives. Hercules was killed by his lover. Medea and Circes tried to keep their love by magic. And Turnus was brought to a fateful fight with Aeneas because he loved Lavinia and eventually he lost. Croesus was a different guy. Uh, That name, I think, is changed a little bit. So it's actually Croesus. Mm. He's the same guy that Solon, one of the great kings of... Athens went and said, he was talking to him and Croesus was incredibly rich. And he's like, who do you think is the luckiest man you've ever heard of? And, you know, he names, Solon names a bunch of other people and he goes, but don't you consider me lucky? And he goes, I don't know, you aren't dead yet. Right. And then his fortune reversed and Croesus ended up losing everything he had and then eventually being burned, mm-hmm. you know, burned to death. And so it's, it's talking about like love as it is horrible and then horrible reversals of fortune. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a strange thing to put yeah. in Temple to Venus? Mm-hmm. Right. It's odd. Mm-hmm. And then it, it goes us, on. Or it tells us something about the story. Isn't that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or right. what the king who made the temple. Right. Mm-hmm. We can talk about that in a minute. How, how am I doing on time, Thomas? Doing okay? Oh, okay. I got a little bit of time. Okay. So the, the temple of Mars is a little bit different. And basically it's just horrible and awful right. all the way through. It's right. like people hacked to pieces and it has embodiments of madness, complaint, outcry, outrage, and, and the statue it looking grim sits on a cart and then below it is like a dog eating a man mm. or a, a wolf eating a man. It is, a, it is a horrifying place to be. It's not cool at all. Um, for Diane, uh, it, it has a whole bunch of other people that went through horrible things. Um, it says in this, it's, it's Dane, which is actually Daphne who was pursued by Apollo and she metamorphosed into a, a laurel tree. And then, Atalanta, another guy that went through some horrible things. Acteon, who saw Diana naked, and then she turned him into a deer, and he got torn apart by his own dogs. So nothing is good is in good. these chapels, yep. right? Nothing is super yeah. happy or fun. And before the battle, right, they, they come back with their knights, right, the hundred knights. Palamon has recruited none other than Lycurgus, oh, the gosh. great founder of Sparta, wow. as one of his knights. Wow. If you're going to get somebody. Yeah, he's the, he's the yeah, guy yeah. for it. Wow. Yeah, he's he's the dude, right? And then Arsita got Emetrius, a king of India, and it talks about all their splendor and all the knights that they brought back. Cool, cool. And then each of they have a feast, and then each of them prays. Palamon goes to the Venus and prays at the statue of Venus. Mm. And after he's done praying that he'll get the girl, Venus's statue kind of goes and wiggles around, and he's like, "Aha, my prayer's answered." <laughs> Arsita goes and prays to Mars and gives a big sacrifice, and then. Mars says the statue kind of goes victory, and he's like, "Ah, oh, yes, sweet, my prayers have been answered." Is that how it worked? I didn't. I, I had no idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he rumbles and then he hears incredible. victory. Yeah. Emily went and prayed to Diane mm. and prayed for chastity. Oh no, she's gonna turn into a tree. So she said, "Chaste goddess, well will stow that I desire to been a maiden all my life. There you go. Never will I be no love, no wife. I am thou woost yet of thy company." a maid, and love hunting and venery, mm. and to walk in the woods wild, and not to been a wife, and be with child. Not will I know company of man. Now help me, lady, sith ye may and can, for those three forms that thou hast in thee. Basically, I don't want a, I don't want a dude. And you know what does, happens to her? Does, uh, does the, uh, the, the little idol goes, <laughs> <laughs> right. I actually kind of shows up and says, that... Sorry, that's a bummer. Uh, <laughs> gonna you're going to have to worry, marry one of them, and I can't tell you which. And then she bails. Oh, and no, so, poor Emily. No, no, poor Emily. She wanted to eschew the company of men. Yeah. And so we actually get, go up into the gods uh, at the end of the third part, and Cronus pretty much says, Venus, I got you. You're mm. going to win this, mm. right? Because there's a, everyone's pretty much said yes, except mm-hmm. for Diane, and, and he has to choose sides. So he says, Venus, you'll win. So we go in with to this knowing that Palamon is probably going to take the prize home, mm-hmm. right? So 
the day comes and Theseus goes back on his word a little bit. He Mm -hmm. goes, you know what? I don't know if I want 200 dead people to take care of. So let's do this. Yeah, seriously. How about no loss of life? No polax, no short knife into the lists. You can have no sword with a biting point. You can, can't do any of these things. Basically, the way that someone gets out, and I kid you not, is that the other side has to take them, overpower them, and then drag them to a stake that's on the other, that's behind them. That's good. You guys, it's medieval capture the flag. Capture the flag. That's oh what it goodness, sounded but you got to like. capture the person you yeah. pummeled. Yeah. yeah, you pummel them, that's grab better. them, and then go and drag them to the stake. And if you get dragged to the stake by force, you're out. That's way better than them actually killing each other. Yeah. This is, oh my goodness, this is like a house game that we should do. I, I'm thinking about I, this. Classical, no, classical it's even classical. Yeah, I like you awesome. guys. Sold. Yes. Okay. I mean, I saw you do noodle hockey. This can't be more violent than that. It's, I think this would be a little more a little more modestly anyway. <laughs> just modestly yeah, more. It's kind of the best. Yeah, okay. So they do it and they start fighting and eventually Palamon stabs Arceta good. <gasps> but at the same moment he gets pummeled and he's getting dragged back to the stake. Mm-hmm. So uh like Kurgis sees it happen, comes over, knocks some dudes over but isn't there in time and Palamon gets dragged to the stake. No. Oh. And he's, he's out. out. So he's out, yeah. Guys, wasn't Palamon's supposed to Palamon's win? Palamon's supposed to win. The, the sweet reversal of fortune. Sweet reversal of fortune. So Arcite goes up and he's like, I have won my fair, fair maid, Emily. And her her mind has changed real fast uh, about the whole mm. the whole not loving oh, dudes she, thing. Oh, seeing, oh. seeing a, a gladiatorial combat will you know, quicken the heart of any maid. Here you go. <laughs> this fierce Arcite hath of his helmy dawn and on a courser for to show his face. He pricketh endlong the large place, longing upward upon his Emily, And she, again him, cast a friendlich eye. For women, and this is in parentheses, for women as to speak and in common, they follow in all the favor of fortune. <laughs> Which is... Terrible. Nah, yeah. you know, sexism. So, yeah, so she's like, hey, he wins, so I like him, and he <laughs> likes her, and Good. so it all kind of goes awesome. But the moment that happens, Pluto, at the request of Saturn sends sort of a weird foundering for the horse. The horse begins to fall over, jumps, and then Arcite hits the pommel on the saddle to his head and busts his head all to pieces. Wow. And then falls on the ground, is all messed up. Does he die? Well, he's sick and he's in real bad shape. And so they try absolutely everything they can. There's actually a crazy list here of all the crazy medieval stuff that they did. Like the clotted, uh, the clotted blood for any leechcraft corrupteth, and in his buik he laughed, and neither vain blood nor venticing nor drink of herbs may been his helping. The virtue expulsive, so uh, laxative or animal for thilk virtue clept natural. Basically, they tried everything they could: laxatives, bleeding, bleed them. They bleeded him good. They pooped <laughs> him. They're like on him, making yeah. drink stuff, not yeah. working. I just I can't imagine why it worked. didn't work. Yeah. And so the ending of this is, and certainly their nature will not work. Farewell, physic or doctor. Go bear the man at church. <laughs> like, wow, it's not going to work. So he's going to die. He's going to die. So it's, it's going to do it. And he ends up ha- like being in real bad shape. And so he calls Palamon and he calls Emily, and they're all messed up. And he's like, "I love you, brother." And Emily, remember him that I am gone. Good wife. And he dies. Wow. And they have this. They're feeling really terrible. Mom's Emily. And. And there's a wise, a wise, the wise father of Theseus says, as, as this is sort of going on, he says, Right as there died never man, quote he, that he lived in earth in some degree. Right so there lived never man, he said, in all this world that sometime he nadeed. This world is but a thoroughfare full of woe, and we been pilgrims passing to and fro. Death is an end of every worldly sore. So basically, every man that dies has lived to some degree, and every man that lives is going to die. It's one of the coolest things, little quotes in the book. Cool. All right. And then he dies, and they decide to have the funeral. Mm-hmm. Can you guess where they had the funeral? Wait. In the cool palisade? No. Oh, in the temple to... They, they had it in the glade where the two brothers Aww. first fought. And so Emily has just fallen to pieces. Poor Palamon has fallen to pieces. And we get this big speech from... Theseus, how are we doing on time there, Magby? 52 minutes. All right, I got I to gotta wrap this up. So I can't go too far into it, but basically he talks about the first mover 
the cause above, mm-hmm. right? Which comes from Aristotle. Basically, if everything we see is an effect, there has to be something to start the whole thing moving. And that's the first cause. And in this, since they're pre-Christian, right? The knight is talking about Theseus and a bunch of Greeks. He says they, they stick that to Saturn, right? Saturn is the first mover, the first mm-hmm. cause. But basically he is the eternal thing. And we have only a part of that eternal beginning. And so we are corruptible. And basically everything that lived will eventually have to die. It's this crazy commentary on the constancy of God and and the eternality of him and on, on our, our temporal stuff and basically says there is a structure to everything, which is weird because what we see is reverse, crazy reversals of fortune, right? A lot of the criticism in this book has been about how he weds all this imperfection to this perfect structure. And that seems to be the notion here, mm-hmm. right? They're, they can't tell whether he's making a commentary on what, what the 1400 knight was thinking of, of all this chivalry and how ridiculous that was and how it was better to be constant, or maybe how everything was supposed to be constant, but the, the world never works that way. There's people who kind of go on both sides. There's also thoughts that Palamon and Arcite represent different things, the learned and the unlearned, right. or different aspects even of Boethius, weirdly enough. So there's a lot of back and forth. I prefer to think that it's just seems to be the view of ancient man and would be an appropriate thing to say at her funeral. And so Arcide dies and Palamon goes home, leaves without MLI. And then years pass and Theseus invites Arcite back. Mm. And he says, he, he's, he brings up MLI and he says, lean me your hand. He brings who back? He brings back Palamon. Oh, I so. Okay. Because Arcide's dead. So, yeah, yeah. Arcide's gone. Palamon went home, and then he invites Palamon back to the palace and has Emily in attendance. And he says, Lean me your hand, for this is our accord. Let's see now of your womanly pity. He is a king's brother, son, party. And though he were a poor bachelor, Sinneth served you so many a year and had for you so great adversity. It must be considered, leaveth me, for gentle mercy ought to pass and right. Then said he thus to Palamon, the knight, I trow there needeth little sermoning to make you assent to this thing. <laughs> Come near and take your lady by the hand. And then they get married. Hmm. And so it didn't happen right away. And it meant the death of a brother and several years passing. But he did come back and they lived happily ever after. So the gods were right. He did win. Right. But not you know, the way he thought it was going right. to win. But In a very was, roundabout way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was a bummer. Yeah. And then, so there's after that follows the Miller's program prologue before the Miller's Tale. And the Miller's Tale is... Not as romantic. Woof. Yeah. So everyone's like, yay, it ends happily. And the Miller's half drunk (laughs) on their trip already (laughs) in the morning. And he's like, I'll tell you guys a crazy tale. (laughs) And then Chaucer himself is like, "Um, if you're a sensitive reader, you might want to move ahead and pick another tale. If you decide not to, can't say I didn't warn you. (laughs) I kid you not. If you were thinking the Knight's Tale is how all of Chaucer's Canterbury Tales not are, this, not it is not even close. I am enjoying this so immensely. I cannot recommend it. So you are going to talk about the Miller's Tale next? I will probably skip the Miller's Tale because it is not We're going to lose our clean lyrics right. uh, <laughs> yeah. thing on, yeah. iTunes. on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. we'll <laughs> no longer have clean lyrics. So I'll probably skip the Miller's Tale, but there's there are a bunch of other Chaucer's Tales to come. I hope you guys are enjoying it. I yeah. wish we could have gotten to talk a little bit of criticism about it, but... It, I mean, it's good. It's, uh, yeah, it's... I'm sad for, I mean, they shouldn't have, maybe they should have. Shouldn't this is what happens when you true. escalate like bro games. Someone well, gets hurt. Someone gets a pommel to the head. Well, right. Arcide was also kind of wedded to the warrior side, right? Love and war always sort of come together and mm-hmm. he was all about war. And having seen war himself, Chaucer was never a huge fan. And mm-hmm. so he sides with the side of love. Mm-hmm. Him, him who would choose Venus as his oh, yeah, woman rather than, than Mars. Than Mars, right? Arcide was like, I will go pray to the god of the war god of rather than the down. goddess of love. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it seems like it makes more sense to pray to the god of war the day before. If you're going into a fight. If yeah. you're going into a fight. But the fight is for love. Hmm. Oh, sure. Whatever. And this is the knight who's been in all these different battles. And he's, this is the story he chooses to tell. And it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's interesting. It's, it's one about battle and ancient stuff. And it's, he's supposed to be sort of in the in the group of pilgrims mm-hmm. like the picture of upstanding chivalry and yeah. wonderfulness and then he gets juxtaposed directly with the miller, with the miller. who is the opposite yeah all right this has been classical stuff thank you all for listening you can find us online at classicalstuff.net. you can email us at classical stuff at veritasacademy.net you can find us on twitter at classical stuff c-l-s-s-c-a-l stuff 
And I think that's everything. That's it. We have no mistakes. We have no quotes. So I think that's going to be the end of the episode. Thanks, everyone, for if, listening. What yeah, you got? I was going to say, if you ever find yourself in the same situation, uh-huh. like, you don't have to kill each other. Oh. I mean, just, you know. Drag each other to a stick. Drag yes. each other to a stick. There you go. That's so the best solution play, is play, play ultimate frisbee as our take drag, drag. Yeah. Okay and that'll that. solve it. This so. is a good takeaway. Like All right. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Cheers. Bye.